Hey everyone, it's Tom Kradz on, on, I cannot speak, and on this episode of the Your Life, Your Term show, we have Dave Butler from Butler Mortgages and Dan Patton from Butler Mortgages, or as we refer to him on the show, Daniel. And uh, we have a great chat about a whole bunch of stuff. We talk about the uh, the Burr strategy, and uh, I'm laugh when I say Burr. I got to explain why I laugh when I say Burr, because when I went backpacking across Europe, um, my friend and I were at a wine festival drinking way too much wine. This is many lifetimes ago, it feels like. And we you know, ran into some Italians. We couldn't speak English. And my buddy there starts trying to speak um, Italian and English. And he was explaining that we are from Canada. And I, I don't think they could understand quite what he meant. I'm not sure why. But then he started going, burr, burr, and he started like rubbing his shoulders. You know when you like clench your arms against your body and you rub at the side of each arm like you're cold? And he was using... He, kept saying burr to, to, to explain we're Canadians. So anytime I see the burr strategy, I always think of that. Anyway, um, so we talk about that and um, appraiser uh, appraisers and appraisals and why that's important if you're using these different strategies and what you need to know about them. Many people overlook that aspect. I mean, we've been doing this stuff for a very long time and it's like uh, shocking to me that people do not understand that process more than they do before they get started. So we talk about that. We talk about using corporations with your real estate investing. We talk about different strategies with banks and mortgages and we talk about the stress test in Canada we break out our own crystal balls and talk about um, the future of the real estate market here in Ontario so we cover a lot of stuff Um, good guys Nick's on the podcast as well so enjoy this and listen I want to share something we have a whole bunch of research reports that we put out here and they're available at rockstarinnercircle.com forward slash reports. One of the ones that's most overlooked to me is a report where we compare if uh, the amount of money that you take to spend on your child's university or college education and compare that to if you had taken that money and bought an income property with it, would the property financially be better for them than the salary that they would earn as a graduate of college or university? And we kind of map a salary of a university or college graduate against the value of that income property. And listen, we are big believers in university and education. We spend a lot of money on our own education post-college and university ourselves. So this is not an anti-university talk. It's just a one-way, a little thought experiment, and one way to talk about assets and the value and power of assets in your life. We believe you. you we all need assets. So this is one of our, way, our ways to reframe the discussion a little bit. And you can get that report as, along with the Ontario Population Report and the Destruction of the Middle Class Report that we've put together, among a couple others, all at rockstarinnercircle.com forward slash reports. Check it out. And with that, let's get on with the show. Are you ready to live life on your terms? Is it time to take charge? Real estate, business building, the economy, health and nutrition, and more. It's the Your Life, Your Term Show with Tom and Nick Carazza. Are you ready? Let's go. Okay, wait, wait, we're al- we are live, and Nick, I know you can hear me, so we're good to go. Yeah, so, that's amazing. Yeah, we are good, and this is already a disaster, because Nick's here, everyone, Dave Butler's here, and Daniel Patton is here. Do your parents call you Daniel? Uh, 
No, they call me Dan. Oh, really? <laughs> yes. Oh, I have a good. He made that up when he got when he turned into a mortgage broker. He became Daniel. That's a yeah. true story. It no, was actually, it wasn't really. Yeah. I thought it's because when I started doing mortgages, I was <laughs> twenty more professional. Exactly right. I thought Dan Patton. You know, I said, well, you know what? I better say Daniel J. Patton sounds more. Professional. I like how Dave just <laughs> laughing outright laughing at you. Well, he was Dave W. Butler. <laughs> well, so I mean, were you were you Dave W. <laughs> we might. I as think well, I went how, with Dave W. One year, and I was like, okay, I got your. How many mortgages do you think the W and the J got you guys? I mean nothing. That's why I gave it up quick. (laughs) I got to think it was the right call for one Dave W.? Wow. No, I think, we might you know, as well I, just let no. everyone know that you're wearing a hoodie right now. And two seconds ago when we did a little YouTube video, you were in a full three-piece suit. I was in a full suit, suit. yes. Three-piece? Was it three-piece? No, but I mean, it was it pretty. Had, it, it, it had if, the if look a of it. If a two-piece yeah. could ever get to sh- look yeah. like a three-piece, it was that one. The two buttons being done up made it, it look really a little three-piecey. It really was classy. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I, can't, I can't get comfortable on that thing, though. So if you want no. me to do a podcast, it's got to be in. Yeah, Got to be in. Uh, if you're listening sweats, to this basically. and you haven't been to our office yet, we have an, uh, we have a lo- one washroom is rather large. I saw Dave scurry into there with his hoodie and oh, I don't know. Man, are you wearing track pants? I, I am. I'm in track pants now. Okay. Yes, I'm in All track right, pants. So I got even brought like shoe Superman. change. Yeah, <laughs> shoe change and everything. <laughs> super. By the way, that bathroom is so big. I mean, I was I felt like I could bring my work in there and everything. It's pretty cool. Did, we were gonna put the 80 inch when we had the, the the big 85 inch whatever that TV is with the training room. We were gonna put it in the bathroom yeah, because we had, we were storing it in there. We're like, man, we should just put it up on that wall. Can you imagine what that would be like in the office? That'd be nice feature you'd have a couple of people just stay there be like yeah he's going in there he'll be there an hour you know the UFC, UFC fight comes on it's like hey hey, Nick where are you watching the UFC fight I'm gonna go to the, the, the office bathroom and just hang out there we're all just it. sitting there on the ground <laughs> <laughs> the problem with the problem with that bathroom is because it has the the, the accessibility buttons, which are obviously very important when needed. Yes. When you when you don't really need them, you press the button and the door takes a full I feel like fifteen seconds to open, yep. and then it pauses for a good I feel like minute, and then it does another fifteen seconds to close, and then you have to press the big button to lock it, and the red light, the green light goes red. And then to get out, you're kind of like scared. Someone's going to break it, though. I have this feeling someone's going to like while the door is trying to shut, someone's going to like stop it. And then it's just going to something how the hydraulic system is going to break or something. I don't know. I have this weird feeling. You should probably put a sign up that whoever breaks it pays for it. So. We have a sign. We have a we have a little disclosure form when you enter this office. You touch anything and break it. Dan, 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 Nick, you don't know this. Dan was trying to close a door <laughs> with so, no door. So this office that we're in right now, just in case you're listening to this, I know you can't see this. The office we're in has no door. We have the glass wall at the front of my office, but there's no doors installed yet. And I thought Dan was joking. I'm like, hey, Dan. Dan goes, can I close the door? I'm like, sure, go ahead and close the door. And I thought you were totally joking, but he was nope. grabbing the frame. Of the door of the of the door frame, and he was yanking at it. Well, I mean, I thought that Dom I, let him go for a while too. We're doing a podcast. I thought naturally we would be in a confined space, but no, it's, you know. dude, no. the, the technology they got here, they, all so. the doors can be open. You're good, man. I'm a You're mortgage good. broker. Yeah, this is a serious. Are we uh, going to talk about mortgages? Yeah, yeah is I, that I, what this is I, for? I just wanted to start with something. Do you guys know? I don't know how many hundreds of millions of dollars in mortgages you've done over the years, you two. But if you look at an amortization schedule, even at like if I take a five hundred thousand dollar property and we put a four hundred thousand dollar mortgage on that property, a three percent interest rate over twenty five years, the total interest payments are. Hundred and sixty-seven thousand bucks. That's big. So that's a twenty-five year too, by the way. That's a twenty-five year. If you were thirty, and that's a three percent, which we haven't been doing three percent for that long. Like if we averaged out how long we've been all working together, I would call it like I don't know, maybe. 
3.8. Yeah, the old so. days, the old fours and fives. Yeah, so yeah. on every mortgage you're putting out the door, uh, not every because the price is always changing stuff. But anyway, in this example of a $400,000 mortgage, which a lot of investors will take a $400,000 mortgage on a, on a condo, sure. a single family home in the outskirts of the GTA or whatever, you're making the banks over the next 25 years 167000 bucks. Like, am I reading that wrong? No, I don't no, think so. No, it's legit. I mean, the, there is obviously a spread. The banks, you know, buying the bond. But, I mean, at the end of the day, it's... At the end of the day, that's money out of the consumer's pocket, and it's going into someone else's pocket. So, I mean... Yeah, yeah, you're right. Okay, so they're buying the bonds, and they're making they're the still, spread I mean, yeah. on that. Okay, got it. They're still making a good chunk, though. By the way, they're 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 the big six for a reason, right? I mean, they're, they're big, and they have control over that, and... That's the, we're talking big, we're talking lots of decimal places on those dollars. Yeah. Like have you ever sat down and thought about how much money you've made the banks? Like, is that crazy? I have oddly enough. Because I, because I don't really like all the banks too much unless I need them. You guys might be part of the problem. You realize that because you're, you're, you're making the banks too much money. It's weird. We're like, we're, we're two faced, right? We're playing both sides. You know, we got to represent the bank in terms of we're getting away their money. But the reality is, is we're. We are for the client, so I mean, but it's interesting how that Ontario disclosure stuff works, you know, in terms of who are you representing, yes, no, you know, both. I mean, it's it's really odd, but I mean, you know, we, we always say, I mean, our whole thing is, hey, we're, we're like sports agents, you know, our investors are like professional athletes, and the banks are just the teams, you know, and uh, who are you more loyal to, the customer who you're going and playing those banks, you know, effect, effect, essentially off each other. You know what I mean? It, to me, it's always been I'm representing my client. But just oddly enough, the way that Ontario disclosure stuff and everything works is you're supposedly working for both, which is odd. I, I don't get it. But I mean, yeah, and the forms that the client signed, there's speak right into the mic. Sorry. And the forms that the client signed, there's literally a line that says we represent the lender in this transaction. Yeah, yeah. it makes no sense. Like. So during the whole, because I know the, and, and the lawyer's representing the lender as well. Yeah. Who Absolutely. the, yeah, yeah. Who the so who's representing, representing the, <laughs> yeah. all of us? Yeah. So wait a second. For some reason, I knew the lawyer at the time of closing was representing the bank. Like yeah. I got that. Even though you're hiring the lawyer and you're paying the lawyer, I understand that the, the lawyer at the time. With us. It really, yeah. it is. Mm-hmm. I don't think I knew that. It just changed. I remember back in the day, it was, yeah. it wasn't like both. that. Yeah. It was, you represented both, but then I guess. There's changes with Fisco and Fizz. It's now Fizz. I mean, our, that's our governing body for mortgage brokers. And uh, there's just been every year, there seems like some new change to try to satisfy some group of people. And So at the time, is, is there a certain time, like the whole process you're representing the banks? Well, we, 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 we play by the bank's rules in terms of qualifying and representing them in that sense, right? That we're providing the right rates. We're providing accurate info to the clients. Uh, but... From a relationship standpoint, I mean, we're, we're trying to build it with the client, right? So we're representing them in their best interest and sending them to the right bank that's going to have the right product for them. So it, it's it's a combination of both. It truly is. Well, and I, I like to just go off what is the actual truth. I mean, the bank doesn't need us to represent them. They can represent themselves. They've actually decided years and years ago to work with mortgage brokers because, sadly enough, and I don't mean to piss anyone off here, but the bank staff selling mortgages was inept. I mean, if you actually think about it, why do mortgage brokers exist? Just actually think about that. Like literally ask yourself that question and think it out. Why do mortgage brokers exist? If the banks, if the people at the banks did their jobs, would a mortgage broker exist? Would there be a need for us? The answer is no, but the banks are greedy and they want to have, in my opinion, unskilled people filling those mortgage positions. And the public over time, many, many years ago, decided that's not the way to do this. And some people still do it. 
but most people now are going to a broker because a broker does get to act as kind of an independent um, entity to the transaction to bring them both together. And especially when we're talking about working with real estate investors, is there more of a need for a mortgage broker than an investor these days navigating the whole landscape of mortgages? I mean, we, we literally, we've had, I, I'm not kidding. I came back from a Scotiabank mortgage broker conference. It's for like some of their, the big producers at Scotiabank. They'll take us uh, this year. It was in San Diego. And the president of Scotia Mortgage Authority basically said, um, you know, in other words, that the stress test actually gave mortgage brokers like another 10 to 15 year history in the business. They'll be able to continue to navigate because as much as this seems odd, most people are scared of the stress test. They hear stress test. They get scared of it. They, to them, it's an extra level of where they have to navigate. And so now mortgage brokers, to the, and this is coming out of the Scotiabank president of Scotia Mortgage Authority said, mortgage brokers are now even more important because the general public believes they need to go and reach out to broker to figure out and navigate this space with the stress test and everything else. So now imagine real estate investors. I mean, we're talking about people are saying you need a mortgage broker to navigate the stress test. Well, what about actual real estate investors that want to buy 15 properties that need to refinance two of their properties, need to get a home equity line of credit? I mean, is there any more poignant time in, in, that you will need a mortgage broker than when you're investing in real estate? I mean, it just, to me, makes the most amount of sense. So, Jeez, Dave, you got really serious <laughs> there. I'm, I have a question for you, though. Um, no, but it's all interesting. No, it's, it's really good information. Why, why do you think, why, like, why do you think it is extending the light? You made a comment early on there. For two comments. The first thing you said is that most Canadians you think are using mortgage brokers or a lot. Um, more than that? in the past. I think I feel growing. like I still have to explain mortgage brokers to a lot of people. It's, I I'm mean, just wondering if you guys, because you guys are in the business, if you think that's the case. Because I feel like I'm always telling people, hey, there's this mortgage brokers on residential real estate. You don't have to pay them. And, you, and the next question is, do you get the best interest rate with mortgage brokers? And I'm always like, yeah, you totally get the best interest rate, right? Yeah. It's, I mean... Um, I guess we we're in a bit of a bubble. I guess Dan and I in that. I mean, we we think most people do know that they need a mortgage broker, but every day there's a new scenario that will come up where you know we're like, how are these people not working with someone like us before? Like, you know, their whole portfolio of like their four properties they did at like CIBC because the CIBC rep said to do it, and we're like, ah, that was the bad move. You know, CIBC is not the one you want to use at the beginning, and uh, so we will look at each other and be like, wow, I can't believe like. These, these people got caught in that kind yeah. of web. And I think that even <clears throat> whether you're an investor or, you know, first time buyer or whatever, people will a lot of the time rely on the relationships, the people they know, they'll reach out to their family, friends, see who they worked with. So, you know, depending on, on maybe their family history sometimes, whether they're just used to going to the bank, they got the same banker they dealt with for 10, 15 years, that's just where they start. But I find a lot of the time now real estate agents in particular prefer to work with a mortgage broker because product or you know product wise banks are all very similar right the interest rate may fluctuate but in terms of qualifying as a first time buyer it's all very similar so a lot of it comes down to service and a lot of it comes down to options you know if you're an investor or you're a buyer and you're trying to qualify with you know 20% down and you're going through maybe TD and you own a property that has a line of credit your numbers may not work so if you're a real estate agent and you have a TD contact and that TD person saying no to you you definitely want to have a source of you know different ways of getting that deal done, whether it be a mortgage broker or a different lender. So we sort of bring everything together as a one-stop shop for that real estate agent or for that client and just shop it around. Um, you know what? There's a lot of people uh, that talking about 
doing, uh, I think now the trendy way to call it is the Burr strategy, but you know, basically <laughs> buying a property. I'm, I didn't I, know it had an acronym. I, know, I, I just figured this yeah, out. I'm like, we've been doing that for a, years. Well, it's a good acronym, I actually. Agree. Good. But uh, <laughs> it's like the strategy has been around forever. But if you've never heard of it, it's anyway, buy a rehab, a property, rent it out, refinance and repeat. I think that's the whole idea behind the thing. But, um, you know, I find that when some people are hearing this, they're jumping in um, and they think their property is going to be appraised at something maybe that's a little unrealistic. Where are you guys seeing? What's the latest with appraisers right now? Are you because remember was it around 2017 where didn't we get that message kind of like threading through the banks where the banks I felt like went to all the appraisers and said, hey, look guys, you got to kind of tighten the screws here yeah, a little was, bit. You got to get a little was, more. Would have been 18, right? I mean, yeah, after the 17 yeah. kind of peak. Um, I think that's when you started to see a lot of problems is 2017, just, it, you know, a lot of multiple offers, people having to go in over market. And when the appraiser started going out on those big properties and the value started coming in lower, you had a lot of people walking away from deals. They didn't have the ability to get more down payment, cover the difference. Um, so I think that was, you know, that yeah. was really the start of it. Yeah, it was kind of like we had a bit, I mean, a lot of people won't see it as the same way we see it, but there was a bit of a mini dip or mini crash. I mean, I crash is a terrible word, but there was definitely a dip on in 2017 in the last half of 17. And then, um, 2018, I think our biggest problems were definitely in 2018. I had like, I had clients that had bought new constructions in like 2016, 2017, like right in the peak. And then they had to close on their mortgage. We sent the appraiser. I remember this one in particular, it was a $960,000 price in Caledon, brand new. Townhome or something? Uh, no, it was, it was fully detached. Yeah, it was fully okay. detached. Yeah, okay. it was, and um, it was summer of 2018. We send out the appraiser. Appraiser comes back like 150 thousand light because there just there was no comps. I mean, nothing. Because this is the this will actually be really good info, I believe, for anyone listening. Is that the bank and the well, more importantly, the appraiser doesn't actually care sadly enough of like how great your finishes are in your house like oh you spent an extra 50,000 on flooring or whatever they don't that's not even in the appraisal report that you might have like a check mark under good condition as opposed to average condition but that doesn't equate to as much the true and the truth and the reality is all appraisals are based on the last six months of actual sales of deals that have closed not my neighbor just listed their house yesterday for 1.6 million so i think that's that one my place is worth that's not that's not it it's actual sales and it can't even be hey my neighbor just sold you have to wait till the actual closing date because the appraiser what happens is they go to your place they take their pictures they do their measurements they get the layout of the home then they go back to their office after and they pull up a list of all actual sales within a certain radius of your home that are like your home. Like let's say your home's two stories. So they're finding two stories, two garage, two garage. They're trying to match it up. And then from that list, they have to pick the three or four or five best that uh, compare to yours. And then there's just this set amount of adjustments like oh, okay the one that the the basement was finished on the other one and yours wasn't so they it's it's an arbitrary move of like a minus 40,000 let's say or whatever that number is or you have a pool and the neighbor didn't and the neighbor sold so after this moving around of these figures it's actually a computer system that spits out a number it's not the appraiser sitting there going I think this thing is worth this they just go put everything in the computer. It's a software, just like a mortgage application. They put it all in their software and it spits out a number. And now then the, the appraiser, if they don't like the number, can go back in and make adjustments to some of the comparables and some of the nuances of it. But they can't just go in and go, 
okay, I, I think it's worth this. That actually does not happen. But we have to explain this a lot. But that's how the appraisal process works. Because I find where people are getting caught is there sometimes people are taking a single family home, changing it into maybe a legal duplex, and the appraisers are going out there and considering it just like a single family home, residential single family home. Great that you made it a legal duplex and great that you like maybe almost doubled the income on the property, but they don't really see it that way. They're just looking at it as like, what are the six months worth of comparables on the street? Yeah. Correct? Am I? Am I, well, am I and, and part of that might be because if the area is new, you know, in particular, maybe a place yep. like Welland, it doesn't have a lot of duplexes and people are maybe going in early now. There's no comparables for those yeah. appraisals. So they'll just appraise it as a single <laughs> family and say there's no comparables around. Sorry. E even if it's totally set yeah. up as a even legal totally second separate. suite. Well, yeah, you, they, so it's yeah. tough to refinance it. Well, I mean, it depends on the area. Refinancing it after when you're doing the burr, there's there's different ways to do the burr, right? You can there's look different ways to do the burr. Yeah. Well, I feel like the burr's a dance. There's different ways. I feel like to it's the bird dance. <laughs> the same, hey, yeah. If you're gonna do the bird dance, if you're gonna dance, you better know better what do you're the bird doing. Dance. <laughs> But there's different ways of structuring the mortgage and the way to access money after, you know, there's, you can do like purchase plus improvements where you can sort of secure an, a, an amount that you know you're going to get back. But if you think that, you know, that, that program's limited to like 10% typically of the purchase price. And so if you're an investor saying, well, my house is going to be worth a hundred grand after closing and I want to access that full 80 grand, the 80%, then you want to gamble on an appraisal. And that's, I mean, you're not gambling, but you got to, you got to talk to your agent. You got to talk to the people around. You got to look at your comparables. You got to know who you're working with so that you have a, a good sense of what that value will be. Because otherwise, you're right. We we see it come back with, you know, different values. I feel like you got to work these appraisals. I remember back in <laughs> oh, the day, God. I think, Dave, it might have been your dad. Somebody sent an appraiser to one of our student rental properties. Yeah. But this one was by York University. I met the appraiser there. I was like selling the place. Yeah. I'm like, hey, man, do you see the carpet on these stairs? Totally. This is the good carpet. Do you see this banister? <laughs> feel how sturdy this banister is. You know what? <laughs> it's amazing, right? And, and I was doing the most ridiculous thing. Absolutely. But I was literally telling him, hey, we paid for a, a secondary entrance out of the basement from the builder. Like it's done properly with the yeah. stairs are all dug yeah. out. There's a drain at the bottom. I'm like explaining all these things to the, to the guy. And I was surprised that he didn't really know that. He's like, oh, that's not standard on all these properties. I'm like, no, that was actually a big spend for us. So I was working the appraiser. And I know they don't like you to do that. They don't like you to be there and stuff. And some of them do the drive-by appraiser. Is that still done? No, drive-by drive is just something where the bank will say, ah, we're okay with, you know, loan to value is low. So they're okay with a drive-by, but it's rare. Because yeah. a drive-by is it's, not, an appraiser is not really happening. Uh, appraiser. Yeah, not actually going into the home. They're just kind of driving by, making sure it actually exists exists and it's not like a piece of cardboard that has the shape of a house you know what i mean and and that's and then they, they and then but then they go back and they do their exact same report that they would be doing if they had seen the house i mean the reality is of going in and seeing the house is just to provide the bank with pictures to say hey the house is habitable you know it's not doesn't you know because the reality is is there are homes and dan and i have seen them and you've seen them um that our, our clients are buying and they require a lot of work. There's holes in the wall. There's water damage. The banks are not clamoring to lend on those. I'm sorry, but they're just not. I mean, if you're giving money, you're not going to want to lend on that. And and the whole thing is, is we have investors go, well, I'm going to fix up. Tell the bank that I'm so I, I, I will, but the bank doesn't care. And to be quite honest with you, if I tell the bank that it's a fixer upper, they're actually less interested in the deal because to them that's short term and the banks don't like to lend short term, which is also the same reason why if you have your house listed for sale and you want to do a refinance on it, if it's listed for sale, the bank says, no, we don't want to lend on this. This is short term. I mean, that's, I mean, you have to understand that's the way the bank works. They have a cost. Every, every de doing of a deal costs them a certain amount of money. So, and they're working off spread like we talked about. So, you know, they're, they're not interested in that short term stuff, which is why, 
you know, we, we have to navigate that space and, and why we have, you know, there's, there's, there's always, we've had clients, we've said clients, Hey, you have to take this off the market. And the realtor calls us up screaming at us. And we're just like, we, sorry, it, it can't be done. Your clients need to refinance this and the house hasn't sold and we need it off the market. So they'll take it off for a week and we'll get our appraisal done and then they can put it back on after we're done the refinance. But that happens. I mean, that's, that's, I think that's almost a normal everyday practice. One of the best people I've ever seen to kind of navigate the whole refinance process has been Vanessa. I don't want to say her last name because I don't know if we should. And I can't remember if you guys have worked with her uh, now. I, but she, I work okay. with her directly. She's, she a, was, she's amazing. She's amazing because what yeah. it's always just baffled my brain when the first time she walked in, in here and she said, okay, I bought a house with like a crawl space and I'm going to get the contractor to cut the house off the foundation. Then I'm going to get a crane and this crane is going to lift the house <laughs> three feet higher and then I'm going to get the contractor to build more foundation. So now I have, instead of a crawl space, I have a full basement and my mind is being blown here because Vanessa is like a tiny little lady. Great. Like, you know, yes. lots of guts, but a tiny little lady. <laughs> um, she has a family. She's married. She's out there doing this kind of stuff. By the way, she, by the way she has a full time important job. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 So when people tell me things can't be done, I'm like, I don't know. Like, yeah. what? Well, I don't know the limiting beliefs that you have, but she, she, she changes the square foot. So the way she did it was brilliant because then it didn't require any income analysis to yes. increase the value. She did it on straight square foot. She bought basically a one level house out in Hamilton, yep. raised the house, built out a full basement. Now when the appraiser goes by, it's a full, like it's almost like she's doubled the square footage oh, of the house and then did, she can yeah. refinance it because she's yeah. getting a tall, a high appraisal, a tall appraisal. You get a tall, you get a super tall appraisal and you get a tall appraisal, you refinance. And then on one of the properties, I'm pretty sure she, after she did something like this, then she gets approval to build an extension on the house and yeah. build like a, another whole you rentable know what's unit. Really amazing about her is that she actually will take the time to contact the appraisers and find out what she can do to help get the numbers that she wants. Like, she doesn't just do the work and then go, well, the appraiser better give me this. You're allowed to she, contact the appraiser like she, that? I thought you always had to just well, meet the... Well, the, no, she's she's gone out. She's came to us and said, hey, I need, like, five of your appraiser's numbers. I want to contact them and get their opinions. And, like, obviously... Oh, so we, not the one that was necessarily hired. She exactly. Was no, yeah, there it. was... Yeah, yeah, it yeah, wasn't yeah. even hired yet at Got that it. point. There was just... She just came to me and was like, I want to do this, I want to do this. And I was like, it's brilliant. Here, I'll put you in touch with them. And I, I had to call the appraiser because it's very abnormal, right? I had to call the appraiser. I'm like, listen, I, I got to be honest. So it's we're not contracting you to do an appraisal. I need you to speak to a really good client of mine and this is what she wants to do and she just wants to talk to you for a bit. And so we just had to kind of throw that up. But, you know, the reality is we would use four or five of the firms that we do a lot of business with that we could pull that favor on. It's not like, it's not every appraiser company is just going to want to have a half an hour chat with someone and they're not making any money out of it, you know, but we, we were able to navigate that and kind of put that together. And I know that that helped her a lot and it really helped her see. And I think for me personally, I loved it as the broker because my client now has a perfect picture of how appraisals work and I don't have to explain and say the same thing ad nauseum as to what I normally have to do, which is this is how appraisals work. She was able to figure out it out on her, on her own and contacted the people, figured out what she needed to do. And it was, I was able to do my job more in, in terms of getting her the right mortgage and everything else, as opposed to wasting a lot of time explaining things like that. She went and did the research on her own. I don't think everyone's going to do that and I don't expect them to. That's what we're here as brokers to do. But I'm just saying it was a treat for me as a broker to have a client do that. How did you two start working together? I feel like Dan, where, Dan, Dan, Daniel, uh, Daniel has now worked with so many rock star members and investors and the whole bit. But at the beginning, we were, Dave, almost exclusively working with you. 
But you were working, you guys. Well, behind the did, scenes, when did Dan, Dan was come on the there. scene? Dan was after my first year, so. Okay, yeah. so you've been in this business a long time, over so, like a decade. That's right. Well, I've oh, been doing it a year less two. than Dave, so about 18 years now. Yeah. 18 years. Yeah. Wow, you look young, dude. Thank you. <laughs> you have a lot of. You'll have a lot of hair. You're, I don't know, man. I see it. I see less and less every yeah. time I look. But that's, <laughs> so that could I'm, just I'm be my. But, but no. But he what's the what's the relationship here? Because you guys know each other. Well, we're basically like, brothers. I feel. I feel like in a different where, world. Because where did you guys grow up in Mississauga? Brothers. We grew up together. Yeah, Dave and I have known each other, believe it or not, since we were about five or six years old. That's a just weird tell me story. what high school you went to, and I'll judge you based on that. <laughs> I went to St. Martin's. He went to John Fraser. We were on different ends of of the town, but that was for school. We we were all sports guys. I went to. Pocock on the other side of Mississauga, so we naturally okay. hated Martins. And Martins of course, was like Martins is yes. like our arch enemy at the time. I was yeah. going to school anyway. Well, and I didn't how even. Old, I, I wasn't you? even Catholic. My mom got me into. My mom was half Catholic, so actually, I was supposed to go to Woodlands. I went to Queenston Drive, like public school. My feeder school was Woodlands, but they didn't have a hockey team, and my dad thought I was going to be a hockey star, so he pushed me to go to a brand new school, which was St. Martins, who had a hockey team. My mom was half Catholic, so I was somehow able to get into school. So I went to a whole brand new high school, but. I had never, I'd always really hung out with my sports buddies anyways, right? So, so Dan was your sports buddy? Well, yeah. we, we, yeah, I mean, Dave dated a girl at our high school too that I was friends with. So that's sort of when we really started to reconnect maybe in like grade nine or 10 or something like that. So we actually hated each other. I mean, the yeah, whole, so there's a whole story behind yeah, it. We knew each other that. at who, five or six. At grade nine when he was dating a girl who you were friends with. He <laughs> was like, hated yeah. Her. No, 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 no that, no, that was, it was, so we knew each, at five or six, we actually lived by each other and we, I was this thing that we realized down the road that happened that that's how we knew each other which was i had i guess ran through my screen door window and cut myself up as a kid and i guess i was crying out in the backyard or whatever and it turns out i was telling dan this story and he's like that was you and this is like years and years later he's like that was you i'm like yeah that was me on martin's pine crest and he's like yeah my house backed onto the thing and i'm like yeah wait what and so it turned out dan literally lived behind me at a different house yeah. We didn't know this till later on. My mom, I remember my mom came home and told my brother and I that, that the kid, kid in our right. backyard ran through like glass. And when you're like six years old or whatever, however old it was, man, like I, you can't imagine what I pictured the kid to look yeah. like. But I heard he went through glass and we had to be extra nice to him because, you know, he was he was in a lot of pain and whatever. So that I think my mom made me go over and introduce myself. I said hi. And then I don't think yeah. we ever hung no, out. No, no, we never hung out. But then <laughs> then we played hockey against you. So all of a sudden, then years later, I would be playing hockey and there would the coach on my team would be like, like you gotta watch out for that big guy Pat and number fourteen. You know what I mean? And there was a couple other guys, and then it was funny because he would tell me that his coaches would do the same thing about me because I was get out him there riled up. Go after Butler; he'll retaliate. Get him to get him to take a penalty, and we'll have a power play. So that was the, that was the game plan for a lot of games. Yeah, we basically just we would be, we were rivals, and then all of a sudden I started dating a girl at his school, so I was hanging out more there. And then just oddly enough, we just all of a sudden became friends, and yeah. from there it was. You started selling mortgages. <laughs> well, for, then we'll actually, with the, we're, we've been in business for a long time because we were running that bookie operation back in the day, which I've talked about yeah, on I here forgot, before. I yeah, that we you were running a bookie yeah. operation. Well, it's just so weird to think was, about it. Like today, the, with with online gambling, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. but back in the day when that wasn't there. Now, I remember we used to always get those sheets like around. Yeah. In, I don't know, get your sheets back for whatever this week, and he's like, "Who's the guy running this show?" There'd be some guy with a backpack, <laughs> and he'd be stuffing his little sheets in there. Yeah. I'm like, oh yeah, it, we were we were taking straight. On, but I think I've talked about this on the, another podcast. But yeah, we were we were running up, and it it graduated, so it started in like grade ten, and then it just kept getting bigger and bigger. And by the time it got to university, it got too big because I went to U of T, so it has a very large like University of Toronto the makeup <laughs> of the school. It's a lot of gamblers there. You know what I mean? There was just a lot of people that are in the casino and gambling. And again, this is back in the day before gambling on the internet. So 
we were taking lots of bets. I had Dan running bets. Uh, Dan, were you going to U of T? No, no. So you were, he was at Sheridan. Sh- but you I, showed up at the campus and d- just you're like you're the heavy. No, I just had to give them. No, Dan was running. So everyone had regions. So like Dan had a Sheridan yeah. and his buddies, and I had other guys. So I had guys that would just take the bets for their crews, and then they would be the ones to have to collect yeah, money because I couldn't collect the money from like hundreds of people. So I would just pick like Dan would go and collect all the money from his you know, 25 people that were betting through him. And then I had other people at different schools that would collect the money. And that's kind of how it all went. But we were in business together before mortgages. And then, yeah. you know, I got into mortgages and then, uh, and then you tried to get legitimate. I tried to get, yeah. <laughs> I was like, okay, I gotta get a real job now. Like all of a sudden online gambling became a thing. I was like, okay, that's it. I'm done there. So I had to actually find a real job and, uh, followed I, my dad. I, re- I still remember the first mortgage. I, th- I think I signed with your office. You were in Oakville at that Lakeshore office. Yeah. Oh, remember? if you can go, I talked to you about this. That whole office might have been bigger than your. Oh, it was tiny because I walked in off the street, and when I opened the door and entered with one foot, I, w- I felt like I was in the middle of four people. Yeah, yeah you were. It was desks. about five. And then you were like, <laughs> yeah. "Hey, Tom, you're gonna sign the paperwork." And this girl on my team, this is the first time she's ever closed yeah. a mortgage or signed papers. Can you come? And I, you took me out into a hallway and then back into some other room, which I is like a it. kind of a boardroom or something. Yep. And then you're like, "Yeah, you know, it's her first mortgage, and we signed them." And I didn't even know what we were doing, getting a mortgage. I don't even know which property that was for. <laughs> Like I don't even Whitney. know what. Yeah, it was Whitney. I don't know. Whitney. No, 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 oh no, that Whitney's one wasn't. Whitney. No. Could have been. I don't know been which one. Hamilton. Could have might have been your principal resident. Who knows? What was the? First? I have no recollection. The first one that I reached out to you for was in Mississauga. Um, it was a flip that I was going to do. That's that's where it that all started. Was the first, it was but a flip. what was that one that we were doing in Hamilton? The first student rental that you guys had in Hamilton. What yeah, was that I think one? it was yeah. Whitney. Yeah, that, that, that would have been Nick and Dave. That yeah. would have been Nick and Dave. Dave. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. You're right. You're right. You're right. Yeah, well, that was yeah. when it was like the four of you, though. Was you guys had like a little four person crew back then. Yeah, that's because he was doing some stuff with Eddie. Yeah. Well, Tom and I were doing stuff. Yeah. By the way, does a lot of people even know that Rockstar used to have a different name? Like, how many people do you think know that? Like, uh, should we put that We have to a put bunch that of the members. Uh, yeah. A bunch of the members who are originals know that. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, once we started Rockstar, it never had a different name, but it was started. The investment group was like had Income for Life yeah, as the name. IFL, mm-hmm. baby. That's Both, what I used to And our email IFL. address. Are, you're an IFL member? Yeah, are you an <laughs> IFL member? And our email addresses were like Tom at myincomeforlifeteam.com. Oh, yeah. It was the longest. <laughs> Just email me at Tom at myincomeforlifeteam.com. You would hate that one. Now, signing into Netflix, you would not like putting <laughs> that one in right now, right? <laughs> you know what? We found it. We still wanted, we wanted rockstarrealestate.com, obviously, right? And it's so the URL is Rockstar Brokerage. So, yep. but. Rockstar Real Estate was registered by it's some it was some team or something now that's in California. I think it's in California, but it was registered literally like two weeks no. before we went to go register because we looked. We're like, oh, maybe it's going to expire. Maybe we can use it. It was like literally just before yep. we wanted it. We looked and someone registered. It. We're like, damn, I can't believe that someone took it. Oh, there it is. You yeah, have it up. You have it up on the screen. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh man, we missed that by like yeah. That was it was so good. Where are they though? Are they in the states? Yeah, I think they're in California. California, or maybe not. Maybe it's actually area code seven six zero. I don't know what that is. Yeah, yeah, that's definitely wow. Contact our team. Yeah, area information. Well, I'll I'll put it out there. IFL. Those were the original days. No, but you know when people joined to work with us, we would give them because we had no clue what we were doing, we had some papers that we gave them as like, hey, congratulations, you're signing up as a member to work yep. with us and stuff. And we had a purple shoe bag, like the kind of bag that you would travel with shoes with, even though I've never done that in my life. Like I've never or used- Or a bottle of Crown? Yeah, yeah, it's actually like a bottle of Crown. Yeah, it's like that bag. It's actually more like that bag. And we had a bag like that, but not nearly as good quality. Absolutely. Like I'm tired, this was horrible quality. And it said income for life, I had a picture of a little house. I love and it. we stuffed papers in it. And then 
we would have it leaning against the wall and somebody would say uh, like, hey, what's that there? And they're like, and we were like, oh, you only get that if you sign up to become a member. Like, that was our, that <laughs> that was was our your, little cherry. That was your that hook. Was our, yeah, yeah, that was your hook. <laughs> that bag that you see leaning against the wall, that's full of top secret well, investing cause, reports cause you, that will make you money and those are only for members. The things, <laughs> the things you do to start a business. Oh eh? my God. I was just telling someone our, when our first office compared to this one was literally a, a, an old closet at this brokerage and the room was smaller than the office we're in now way smaller it was probably half and then uh the door would open obviously and the, the little office was actually l-shaped so i set my desk was around the little corner so somebody could open the door and talk to nick and i was behind this wall nobody people wouldn't even know i was there yeah we like, needed a better looking brother to represent yeah, yeah, the company yeah. right and, so. yeah so but somehow we managed to fit the two smallest desks you've ever seen and i'll never forget one day i don't know i'm doing something i don't think i'd quit my job yet i was like living two lives at that point and uh nick we had to, we had a total of eight rockstar members and nick's like shit i gotta go to staples and get the labels for the cds that we're mailing out to everybody this yes. month because we have a yeah. and he goes out to staples he comes back and there was this little cone that you like you put the cd yeah. and then you put the cone to drop the little sticker onto the thing and he, he dropped the sticker like wrong and it kind of stuck to oh the cone God, and it all crumpled and he's like oh shit man I didn't, I didn't buy enough of these goddamn stickers i gotta I go, go back, back to, to staples <laughs> so then he went, went back to staples and i'm like this is the life that we were living like this. we couldn't even mail out eight cds it took us like eight days yeah. we burned life. we bur i remember we burned them one by one on the laptop and then printed the label and put the label over the cd and i was like yeah. holy i don't cow, even know if you people don't realize how tough that was you guys are like and you guys were sending those out like every month i remember oh, yeah. i was getting them oh yeah yeah yeah, yeah, like, yeah. and we didn't care if people were throwing them or throwing them I, out or whatever we were like hey look back then that was good content though back then right now it's good content well, well, we still I, send them out but i'm saying back then you I you Don't can just throw that in your car. I put, that, your I put that CD. Yeah, I put that CD in my car. I actually listened to Tom and Nick on my car on the way to like go and see you, clients. I don't even know if Dave knows this, Dan. So I'm just going to direct this at you. Nick calls me because at some point I was screwed up for a mortgage. And he's like, yeah, I met this guy at like Gold's Gym or whatever. Call him. He's going to do mortgages. And I talked to him. And then we started this business. And uh, I'm like, Nick, I don't know if we can use Dave. Like, I don't know. Like these investors, like they need a little like comfort and coaching like Dave seems like he gets mortgages done there's no doubt like I don't question he gets mortgages done but he talks really fast and he like he kind of gets animated and I think he like really will be in the face <laughs> of some accurate. of these investors yeah, yeah. and I, I'm like Nick I don't know and we literally tested out at that time like early days because yeah. we had other mortgage brokers walking yeah. and there was mortgage brokers part of the brokerage that you Absolutely. were supposed to use we must have tested out like 10 mortgage brokers and they all spoke so nicely gave us little pens yeah, with sure. our names engraved on them and yeah. they all said they were going to take care of our investors and each one of them over the next eight 18 months like failed us yeah and literally dave was the only one who kept stepping up and delivering and we were like okay no i guess I this guess is you're the, stuck with me i guess <laughs> it doesn't take that's long. how we came to love dave butler and <laughs> yeah. butler mortgages it was process of elimination we really don't want to but he's the only guy standing. <laughs> he's the only guy he's like, the only guy I who that, apparently does what he says i say that jokingly uh, and i you know over the years now we've had many investors getting jams and you've stepped up like dan you've done incredible things Dave, you've like stepped up Thank big you. time over the years and, and really helped people out when they get into jams. And I think that's the power of a good team. So, you know, thank you. Now we're oh, we, all... we, we enjoy that stuff. Honestly, yeah. I, I think for us, it's, uh, is, and this will sound weird, but to, to be able to help people that need it, we're in a position to be able to help them. Um, we feel definitely at this point in our career, you know, as long as Dan and I have been doing this, we've built up really good relationships with some of these banks. A lot of these people we're working with at banks, we've known for 10 plus years we've spent time with them 
um, we go out with them in the sense of we we're always learning product together and you build a relationship with these people. So, I mean, that's, that's, that's what I think we're bringing now more than anything is that we didn't have that back then. I mean, I, back then when we were doing those original mortgages, we were just trying to make them jam them in as best we can. But now we would feel like at this point in our careers, we actually help some help from the banks. We have people that can see us. They see what volume we're bringing in. They like the business. They see that our default ratios are some of the smallest in the, in the whole country and they're interested in our business and they've come to us now. So back in the day, we'd have to fight to get on lists to work with certain banks and lenders. Now they're lining up at our door because they want to work with us and your clients. Can you, you know what? Let me ask you something on that. How, and we talked about this a little bit on this uh, little rockstar minute that we did, but how many, um, how many properties can somebody buy in Canada and remove the income qualification for a second? Because I get told by so many investors, no, Tom, you can only buy like three or four properties in Canada. And you can, and, and Dave, you just explained this. So I don't know if Dan, you know, has the, this, he has the same message. Yeah. Like yeah. what is the answer to this question? Well, I, I mean, I'll jump in and then Dave can certainly fill in any holes, but it, it depends. It's a, it depends on the, on the bank you're going to, because every bank has a different variation on how many properties they'll let you hold and how many they'll let you buy. So for example, a bank like TD will say, you can have five rentals total. doesn't matter if you have two with RBC, you have one with Scotia. Once you're at five total, you can't get any more from them. So if you're going to TD and saying, how many properties can I get? TD is going to tell you five. That's it. If you go to CIBC, CIBC will say, well, we don't care how many properties you have outside of us. We'll allow you to get five with us. So the answer at CIBC okay, might it. be different. Now, okay, so TD is saying all-encompassing five. CIBC right. is like, I don't care who, what you have well, elsewhere. Right. Scotia is right in the middle. Scotia, Scotia says right you can have up to 10 properties in total on an application, but you just can't have more than five with Scotia. So, so the, or, the order okay. right, is very important. Now, what gets in the way sometimes of going in the exact order is the qualifying, because the qualifying can change from bank to bank, and you know things like limit of a HELOC can start to impact an approval and things like... So like if you have a HELOC of like 300 grand, but you have zero balance on it, it's still right. going to screw you. Well, the Certain banks. Yeah, mo okay. most banks. And they're, and they're counting that what's equivalent to $600 per 100,000, give or take. So for every 100,000 you have available on a line of credit, they're attributing a $600 payment to that. Yeah. So a $300,000 HELOC, like you're saying, is going to show us an $1,800 a month payment. to the Even with a balance bank. of zero. Yeah. Right? Even so. if the down payment's not coming from there. That's how they're counting it. Yeah. So to answer, I mean, to go back, what Dan's saying is obviously the first, like in a perfect world, if you were to say to me, like in the most perfect situation, you know, my, I have a client, they, they're an investor, they want to buy as much as possible. Assuming I can't split up the husband and wife to kind of duplicate the situation, say I need both of them on the application. Perfect world. You're getting four or five with TD. You're getting four or five with Scotia. And then you're getting four or five or up to five with CIBC. And I mean, that's now there's in between there. You're going to sprinkle in maybe a student rental with RBC as like property number four. You know what I mean? And that might take away because from RBC one of the ones. does student rentals yeah. and not many others do student rentals. Yeah. So, I mean, it's it just, you know, and then all of a sudden you might have your client decide that they want to start buying in corporations. And that also throws things off because there's certain banks that won't allow you to buy in corporations. So, I mean, that's why it's always important what we have. And we, it's funny. I mean, people have said, oh, you still meet with your customers because we're kind of old school. Like we, we have to sit down, we either meet with them in person. We do like a long phone conference because we have to lay out like all these different steps that are going to be in the process. And we also have to find out where their head's at. Like some of them come to us and they're like, I'm only interested in student rentals, high cash flow. Da, da, da. Okay, that's fine. But we have to now set up that plan. If you're not setting up that plan, I just, I can't stress this enough. It's the most important thing as an investor, because we can't tell you how many times someone has come to us. Yeah. I, I just got five rentals with CIBC and I, 
they won't do anymore and now we want to buy and I want to buy in a corporation and we're like okay well Scotia and TD are out because they don't do it in corps so now you got to go to BMO oh wait BMO's out because BMO says one sale four or five they don't want to see anymore now you got to go to a national bank or, or you go to RBC RBC says well we only have appetite for maybe one because we only do up to six or seven I mean so now all of a sudden you have that perfect application that could have probably got 15 or more properties and now they're capped out at five and then a couple more here and there from, you know, maybe a couple other banks, rogue banks. That's not a plan. That doesn't make any sense to me. Like you need to sit down with someone who knows the space. That's just the bottom line. And it's not just us. There's other mortgage brokers that specialize in working with real estate investors. There's nothing wrong with that. But our whole point today is you must have a plan with no plan because yeah, you're going to end up back in my, in my office. And I'm going to be having, I have to tell you no, because you've gone and done it the wrong way. You know what I mean? We had a big discussion on Monday with our team about corporations and stuff. So I just want to clear this up for some people. When you're buying, a lot of investors want to start a new corp. New corp has no financial history and they want to close in a corporation. To do that, you still have to personally qualify and guarantee, even if the corp, um, even if the bank's going to allow you to close with the corp. Right. Yep. That might sound so obvious when Nick and I started. We didn't like we just yeah. thought, oh, my gosh, we're going to start a new corporation. We'll buy these bank properties in a corporation and the bank's going to lend us money like that's how naive. I mean, this was back sure. in our 20s, but we totally believed that. Okay. But uh, so when you start a new corp, if the corp has no financial history, the bank's not going to lend on it. So you have to qualify personally and guarantee personally, even if it's closing in the corp. Yeah. And I mean, uh, let me I, I just have to say this because this there's the talk about this thing is 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 just. Like why, if you're buying your first one or two or three rentals and you don't have your account telling you for sure that you have tax implications, then why are you putting it in a corp? I mean, I don't, and I'm not trying to put down the businesses that are thriving from people setting up corporations, but at the end of the day, if you don't <laughs> no, need a corp, why are like, because you have to, and I'm sorry, but you have to pay your accountant to do the books for that corp. Right? So there's, you've got that right off the bat. I mean, and is it saving you any money? I mean, don't get me wrong. At, five, eight, nine, 10 properties plus. Yeah, you might need to start putting some in corps, but on property number one or two, to be buying that into a corp, I don't personally see the, I don't, I don't get the idea. We tell people it. the same thing, unless maybe you're buying your first property as a building or something like that. Yeah, you or you make, put, or you make $500,000 a year and you're already in the highest tax bracket yeah. anyway, and you can't have any profit from that property show up on your taxes. Okay. I understand that. But if you are a husband and wife making a combined income of like $150,000 a year, which is great income, and you're buying your first rental, please somebody explain to me why you need to put that no, in the we court. agree. We Liabil- tell everyone. Liabil- yeah, that's, I was going to say. We that's just tell everyone. But I've heard lawyers tell me that all that is is just a, it's one extra layer well, for the other side I, to try think, to get through. Yeah, but I think it depends on, it depends on the type of property, right? So single family stuff with the way insurance is structured, you're usually more than covered. But if you're buying... Uh, let's say you're buying. Uh, let's say you're buying student property, yep. and it's two five-unit things. I know some of the, our investors up in London, and it's so there's ten units in it. Something drastic were to yep. happen, even if they have a two million dollar policy, how totally. secure are they? Do they want that extra yeah. layer of? That'd coverage? be commercial, though, right? Uh, ten units, so it's just well, different. not student property. Or like no, a because it's really it's really gotcha, two okay. units that are grandfathered gotcha. in as a two-unit student rental, right? So ten rooms. Yeah, ten units would be different. So I think it's that's pretty much the yeah. the only thing. And but, you're right, you're right about it. Like they can still get through it. The thing is, it's much if they can't prove gross negligence. I'm not a lawyer. Check this all with sure. a lawyer. But what I've been explained is, if they can't prove gross negligence, meaning you've done something completely stupid, like boarded up a fire yeah. escape, or you have a bedroom as a closet with no windows, and you know you just do stupid stuff, then you're you're pretty much covered, right? The liability's limited, right? So that's I think that's where it comes into. But for the average single family thing on your first property yeah it's a little bit excessive i wanted one of the guys that i had a friend 
that he was buying properties and someone told him that he should really set up um, a corporation for every single property. A different one. A different yeah. one. <laughs> you, you, guys, you guys actually all know this guy. And he and I'm like, are you serious? Like, don't do that. Like, that's insane. You, yeah. you know, like just the management and the taxes and stuff like that. He's like, no, that's what I was told to do. So I'm going to do that. After about five properties, like, you know, this was stupid. I'm like, yeah, no kidding. I could have told you it was stupid. To <laughs> corporate do, to, tax returns. To corporate taxes for each one. Yeah. thousand bucks one a year. Day, like, exactly. Exactly. And the properties were like single family homes. Yeah. yeah. And by the way, they were probably so like in terms of, and again, just from the accounting standpoint, like revenue and expense, like it's not. I, no, it's I'm not. Sorry, but like that's. But we tell, oh, yeah. I, we yeah, yeah, tell yeah, everyone. So not, if you're listening to that, we tell everyone, listen, talk to your lawyer. It, usually one to three properties get liability, get the right $2 million coverage maybe per property. Absolutely. Or I just want to repeat, we're not lawyers. Talk to your lawyer Absolutely. about what liability coverage you need. And then you're kind of, you, you can kind of thwart most of your liability exposure. Um, but this kind of, this whole thing comes up a lot. I remember Our we, accountant because of the different assets you have. Yeah. So lawyer you said, but you probably the accountants of conversation you want to have. Depending totally. On I just mean on liability just for your lawyer. And then one time Nick and I were doing this, the, uh, multiple corporations. And I think one year I swear I feel like we had $50 and like we had because we had we had like holding corporation we had another corporation another corporation and we're like moving money around and we paid like all this corporate tax return and I was like Nick I don't even know what we're doing because like I have 50 bucks in my like holding company like I don't know after all the fees and stuff and after years it does get it yeah. turns out to be a beautiful thing but to rush into it I tell everyone lead with revenue man make money and then let the money decide what you do next don't like do all this expenditure up front on corpse and all this thing when you don't need to I think I'd feel a little different about the corp thing if there was an advantage to it on the financing like i think i think it's a i think there's a disadvantage yeah, on the finance. Right. so i mean when you're buying rental properties let's be realistic what is the most important thing when you're buying rentals it's getting the money getting the money okay like we're talking about the accounting money. and everything else money. serious yeah. money. but, but you the need money. the money to buy the house like i mean that that's the way i look at it. like the account that's all gonna happen after if you're making profit like then your accountant will get all that figured out but for me it's getting the properties if you have two major banks that are big time players in your first five to ten properties and they're saying no you have to do it in your personal name shouldn't that be part of your plan or you're just going to negate that and go straight into doing it at a corp so effectively what you're doing is you're putting the cart before the horse you're going to you're going to think about my profit first before i even get the money to buy the house it just for me personally it doesn't seem to make sense to me that's that's you're putting number three ahead of number one it makes no sense and that's what I, anytime a client calls me and just asks that question I, I ask them why why do you want to put it in a corp What's just give me and the it'll always be reason. liability, right? Well, you know, uh, no, well, they say no. someone told me to do yeah. that. And, okay. and a lot of the time they'll say, you know, so, I mean, I'll get as far as, you know, well, me and three buddies want to pool all of our money together into a corp and go and qualify for a property. I mean, it doesn't unfortunately work that way unless you're all going to personally guarantee it. But it, it, it the, the question, it, it, it has to be asked because why are you thinking of doing it? You know, well, I was just told that I want to buy as many properties. Well, if you want to buy as many properties and you were told that, then whoever told you, you that split what, up what all is three. The, yeah, exactly. Like, okay, is that the best? Well, I was yeah, say I mean, three buddies because that happens a lot. Three yeah. buddies get together, so mm -hmm. it's to use the names individually. If but you where can, that, where that breaks apart is if one of the buddies is married or all of them. Or usually, doesn't qualify. I mean, we have that too, right? I mean, but then what we'll do is we'll say, okay, out of the three of you, number one and number three, you guys are good to go on an application together. Number two, you make enough money that you can go on your own, and that way you both now as a group instead of all three going together. Because this is the one thing people don't understand: if you're going all three together. That doesn't change the rules of the 5, 10, 15 properties. That doesn't, it's, it's all based on an application. So if you go, if I split three people up that all qualify, I might be able to get them 15 properties times three. Mm -hmm. Not, but when you put them together, 
there's no 15 times three. It's just 15. That's as long the, as they have the income to, we keep saying 15 in properties, but like you still have to have the income sure. to qualify, carry all that debt, yeah. the whole bit. Which is, which is all going to happen when you are w- working with your mortgage broker because that's part of what a good mortgage broker that works with real estate investors is doing is planning that out. When you, when you come to Dan or I and you say, yeah, I'm with Rockstar Real Estate, we know immediately you're an investor. We need to line you up to try to set you up for your index, for your portfolio and try to put no stops on you try to give you an open canvas to do your thing, right? That's really what we're doing. So we're and we're having these conversations. Are you looking at buying a corp? Are you looking at buying student rentals? And we literally, and I don't mean to sound like we're artists, but I feel like in a way that's what we do. We paint a picture then as how we're going to get you there. i talk about this before. Dave and Dan, the mortgage artists. <laughs> I feel well, like I you guys know. are like on the big whiteboard, just like, let me map this up for you. And like, you just have paint on your hands, and like in a way. massaging the whiteboard. Yeah. And the by strategy. the way, I am the farthest guy that no, I couldn't even draw a human. Like it would look terrible. So, I mean, I, I don't want to put myself Dude, you as an artist. you could do a stick figure. I'm sure you could do a stick figure. It's a bad but, stick figure um hey what do do you guys think about the stress test like you know how the prime minister came out like i don't know if this is all smoke and mirrors or what but what are you guys hearing about the stress test because you know the prime minister came out and said i love the words that were used it was like we have to make this thing a little more dynamic like that's the word i kept hearing over and over let's make this a little more dynamic is it just pure bullshit are they going to do anything or is it just good politics to say they're going to look at it is an election coming up is there one coming up, right? I'm not sure. No, I'm I don't. Know. I don't, no, I don't think so. No, yeah, like three years. I think. Three yeah, years. yeah, yeah. He won, Did, and then he got quiet. There was just one. Yeah, he stopped taking yeah. selfies. Yeah, 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 that's right. There was. Just <laughs> he stopped taking yeah. selfies. Yeah. Uh, now, I don't know. Now, I mean, what does he do? Hold on. What does he do now? If he doesn't, do, at least before he did say he took selfies. Now what's he doing? I guess I just nothing. Know. Yeah, I don't know. Anyway, sorry, Dan. I cut you no, off. No, no, I no, no. That was an important question. No, no, if no. Justin Trudeau's listening to the podcast. <laughs> just said, just you know what? Just DM me directly, Justin. Yeah. All right, yeah. you can <laughs> tell me what you. And, and we'll get and him shave. set up as an investor. We'll plan it out for him. No and problem. Shave the beard. Shave the beard. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And answer me why Canada only has seventy six ounces or seventy two ounces of gold. I, I want to ask him that. Yeah, there's a lot of questions. But there that's a, a whole that's a whole other podcast. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I. Uh, but to answer your question, I mean, look, we've been hearing things about the stress test ever since the stress test came out i mean a year ago we were hearing stress test might drop this year stress test might drop i don't think they're going to drop it at all why well, are they going to drop it we're seeing i don't know i don't know if you've told you guys this around the gta so in the price points of like that we play in usually 450 500 000, multiple offers yep. like multiple yeah, offers. 10 uh mike on the team was out i forget if it was kitchener i think it might have been kitchener there was 15 new listings that came up on wednesday by thursday or friday 11 were sold 11 were sold. He put offers on four other ones, lost on all four. Yeah, I believe So it. like it's going crazy. So again. far 2020, that's all I've heard from people we work with is that it's all multiple offers. The market's, you it's, know, it's, it's, to it's a, a little 2017-ish yeah. right now. Well, not at the higher price, so, but we're not seeing it at like, you know, the no, one the point, demand. The demand yeah, is what we're, yeah, I think Yeah, like it's, the $2 million single yeah. family home. We're not seeing multiples on that. Yeah. Not that market. No, the no, starter no. home market around the GTA, we yeah. are seeing demand. Yeah, yeah. That's, that's now. So, if, so, so I mean, that's supply the case, will open up, but demand's going to increase yeah. too. So right? if that's the case, why are they going to do anything with the stress test? They're well, going to make that situation worse. Well, the, I, I guess I, are you asking are they going to change the stress test or are they going to change the rate on the stress test? Because they've adjusted the rate. Right? Yeah, they did make that it's because small of the rest. Adjustment. It's yeah. because small. of the rest of the country. That's why the rest of the country suffering. Yeah. You need to do something to try to open up the rest of the country, and it's hurting real estate in the rest of the so country. So you think they're going to do something? No, I'm just saying that's what they. That's that's the problem they're trying to fix. It, it would be you nice always wanted to, a definitive answer. I'm just telling you what they're thinking. You're using logic and saying I can this. Get, what I can give. Do, I can get without cutting Dan off though. I can give you an answer for, that I have from some of these executives that, from Scotia Bank. I mean, take you've it been for sitting on, you've it. been sitting on the answer over there. No, I, well, I mean, <laughs> but they 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 believe and and by the way, there's some of these people that 
we're getting this information from over there have political ties. So what we're hearing is that they think they did a fantastic job. I mean, the government in terms of implementing the stress test, they are all patting themselves on the back and some of the higher ups at Scotiabank, some real high ups there have a feeling that nothing will happen to the stress test. Literally nothing. I agree. I think so. I think that's the because same. they believe 2020 is going to be a monster year. That's what they've said, yeah. especially, especially Ontario that, that, that coming out of that conference, I, I, I go to try to make some of the, you know, pitch changes that I want done that I think will help benefit our customers. But more importantly, I like to go there because you get to finally talk to some of these people that are in, they're the ones actually in the work in the bonds, work in, work in that situation. Do you want to ask them if they want to be a rockstar inner circle member? <laughs> Next time you talk to one of these executives, say, hey, I know this whole thing, Rockstar Inner you should become a member. I probably should. I okay. should definitely pitch okay. them. Okay, all right, cool. I should probably do that. But <laughs> um, but no, I mean, I, the reality is, is that's 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 what we're hearing, is that they believe 2020 is going to be a really big year, specifically in Ontario, and that there's no reason for them, they believe, for the government to change the stress test. And that's coming from the banks, so take that for whatever it's worth. Yeah, I agree. It's, it's, it, to me, it's so much crap because like they should have just raised interest rates a long time ago and they can't raise the interest rates for many discussions that we've already had. So now we're stuck with the stress test. I'm just wondering if they change rules even further. Like I'm wondering if, if the stress, if like maybe down payments change permanently on how much you can put down even for first time home buyers. Yeah. Like I'm wondering if they just say, okay, forget it. We're going to have to, because if we have a situation of a year worth of multiple offers all around the GTA, what happens? Yeah. Or do they just, to Nick, to your point, do they just have some like Ontario changes? And well, it's, it, that's amazing that you said literally what was just popping in my head was a term that I had never heard before. Maybe it's been heard and that just shows how much I'm tied to my desk and my computer all day. But um, the, the whole point about Toronto and Ontario the being very really cutting themselves different from the rest of the country. And the term that was used was the Manhattanization of Toronto. That's actually what some of these bank people were saying. Like, that is where this is going. And if you go and you look at New York and Manhattan and you see kind of how the real estate market there played out comparative to the rest of the United States, very, very different. So we're probably now seeing what used to be a really uniform country with the way that our finances and our real estate market worked. And then it started getting a little off on each side on the West Coast and the East Coast with Toronto and Vancouver. But now we've seen Vancouver really cool off. And now we've got this Toronto thing. And this they believe that this is a problem. By the way, do we have a TTC bus in the background here? Yeah, no, we're moving tables in the background. Oh. <laughs> we're moving I was going to say, there's a tonight. subway about to come <laughs> and take us subway. all out here. <laughs> Dan, can you close the door? Can you yeah, give me a no problem. Give me a second. Second. I appreciate I hit that. that door up. The invisible <laughs> No, door. but just to your point, I feel like that's happening in Toronto because I don't meet anyone who's like, hey, we just got married and we bought a great townhome in Brooklyn. <laughs> like, I don't, you know, we, hey, we just moved to Queens and yep. we just got this awesome place in Queens. Like, I don't hear those discussions. No. So I feel like Toronto's going through that kind of stage. I don't, I think to, Nick and I have chatted about this many times that this is the, this to me is the last easy 10-year window and by easy I mean there's still opportunities all around the greater Toronto area for all of us and after that there will be opportunities too but I mean it's going to be much harder like if I look back 10 years from today we were buying single-family homes in Brent or even let's go back to Burlington Nick, Nick and I were buying we bought a fully detached home for an investor in Burlington Ontario Nick for 230,000 yeah $230,000 wow. Well, was only, and what, is that, what does that place sell for today, you think? Oh, man. It was a smaller home in Burlington. Because sure. even back then, at 230 was a good price for a single family. But I don't know. I, I got to think that's a 750000 Okay, so that's that's a double, right? They do, like, that's not, a triple. I mean, that's, well, I mean, they, they literally, they My 200% first, increase. Yeah, on, on the first student property, oh, this is longer ago, the first student property I bought by Mac, right? Right in 
prime location by Mac was it was a power of sale, right? So it was pretty beat up and we did a bunch of work to it. It was a hundred and thirty five thousand dollars. One thirty five. We, that thing's going for five minimum we, right now. You know, he runs it as a six or no, seven it's, it's bedroom. No, it's probably, it might be a hundred grand more, yeah. But yeah. it's, we, 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 we did the work, we refinanced it, got it reappraised at two and took all our money out of it. And yeah. to this day, that's not even how, how many years ago. So I took, we took all our money out, it spit off a bunch of cash flow and it's gone up by ever however many thousand, hundreds of thousand dollars. One property to, turns into to, four or five. To this day. Yeah. yeah, it's been, it's, that's been winner. So, oh, someone's I'm trying to put a door on the wall. <laughs> That's Dan. <laughs> Dan's drilling Thanks, a door. Dan, I appreciate that. Dan brought his toolbox and he just decided to work <laughs> oh during the podcast. God, I think we're four, we're no, the 48 unit, hours away from the, doors being the installed. The unit above <laughs> us, they haven't finished the construction. We have, they started sanding, they started grinding the cement floors last week. It was like an airplane was landing in our unit. It was yeah. like we were all shaking. We couldn't even talk to each other. But uh, I want to say something on that point. The, the, what I find we're real estate investors and I think the book Sapiens really drove this home for me. It was talking about like how humans over the over the course of history are really unable to see the future very well. Like they can't extrapolate their decisions today very well into the future. They can't extrapolate trends very well into the future. And I feel like as investors, we're horrible at that because in 2010, we were telling people, hey, buy in Hamilton. And even Nick and I were a little scared of some of the prices because we were like, shit, we were buying at like 225. Now it's 239. And, and I remember, Nick, remember we were like 239? Yeah, like, ooh, well, that's like high. crazy. But at that time, if you look, if, if we understood monetary policy the way we understand it now, it would have been like low. And we were already pretty convinced. Dave, you know this. We were always yep. telling people low rates, low rates, low rates. Let's go. Let's go. And we were still kind of cautious. I feel like today in Toronto, the same thing happened because... We have population growth in this area of the country that is exploding. Like that's documented exploding. You go to Stats Canada and look at the numbers. It's absolutely exploding. In Toronto right now, by 2041, the GTA is supposed to grow from 6.7 million from 2016 to 9.7. That's 3 million people or 43% increase or another city the size of Toronto moving in here. So if you get to buy a property today, imagine Dan, we're like, hey, buy a property today because another Toronto is moving here. What is that going to do to demand by the time that you're 20 years into that property? And I feel like people just get hung up, myself included, on, oh my gosh, like I'm not gonna buy that property in Hamilton or Oshawa or Clarington or Barrie because last year that property was this price. I'm now getting ripped off. But if we just extrapolate the trends going forward, it looks like, holy smokes, there are good times ahead. And unfortunately, none of us can guarantee it. And that's what makes it scary. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's the whole crystal ball thing. But I mean, I think we all have, a, I think everyone in this room has has a pulse on what's going on. And all we can do is go off of what we see. But everything you guys have been saying for years and years and years, I mean, the reality is, is you know, and I don't mean to say this but everything no, you if guys you're gonna have compliment said, us yeah, yeah, just no you go ahead i hated no, doing you, it no, for you a go second ahead. Yeah, no, I, nick was this. nick looked it's at recording. me in a way where he was like yeah. gonna record me yeah. or something yeah, no, on his recording. phone no go ahead but sorry i know everything you guys have said. i mean I, every time i would go to the rockstar conference my favorite thing was listening to you and nick talk about and do the rockstar kind of forecast uh the financial forecast and and the market forecast and if you go back i'm sure if you go back and grab all those slides I'm, I'm assuming you guys must go back and we at night talk and just sit there and go, ah, we were right here. Look, we were right there. <laughs> we still, <laughs> we're like, oh my God, how did that happen? <laughs> oh my God, we were right. How were we right? <laughs> but it really is true. I mean... Uh, but you know what started it all? It was in 2008 when the, the, the markets got... Cr- like the financial yep. markets just froze up. 
it was just a lack of understanding and that's when that's when it just kind of like triggered like hey let's wh- why did this happen let's try to understand it and then it was just it's just been trying to do like a little bit of research so we don't get screwed again yeah well, there was, that's what it, it was, was a, it was a lot of panic sellers right i mean that's what really if it was if you look at what 2008 2009 did it really washed out that last group of people that were uninformed oh, oh yeah. right I oh, mean, well and i and i'm convinced nick and i talk about this we're like unfortunately at the next big downturn we are going to be presented with a weird opportunity all four of us sitting here because there's going to be some investors who want to dump their properties and we'll be telling them don't sell yeah do not sell yeah. this property and they're going to respond i already know saying no tom i heard it's going to get worse things are going to get worse before they get better take this property and unfortunately a lot of people are going to transfer properties and sell properties that they should not and i know this is going to happen in advance of it happening i just feel it in my bones and the reason that, that i i feel that way is back in 1990 i saw it happen to my father's friends People were like, hey, I'm selling in 1991 because I heard it's going to get worse. Yeah. Right. And the activity was there. People were selling and they should have just kind of rode that out. But a lot of them, to be fair, they bought paper. Back then, a paper was flipping over yeah. a lot. You didn't even it's close. Panic, though. It I was mean, panic. Well, yeah. I think history shows the market will rebound, right? Yeah. The thing is, as long as we can all survive it. like right. That's why we always talk about cash flow and yeah. the whole bit. And to that point, a lot of people have given us crap over the years because they're like, well, Tom, you should have bought all those properties downtown Toronto because they appreciated like crazy. And yeah, maybe we didn't maximize what we purchased for ourselves, but we always have to be prepared and paranoid of a potential crash and surviving that crash. Yeah. If you're not thinking about if you're if you're operating in this market right now and you don't think this thing's overheated i mean i i'm not i you know me my i mean you guys personally know my dad he's a pretty doom and gloom guy all right so i come from that background pretty. and i he's he's calling for the market crash every year yeah. but i mean you know when you when you look at the market in the last 25 to 30 years and you look at the history shows that markets do usually have some form of correction every quarter, century. Well, guys, do the math. Late 80s, early 90s, add 25 years to that. We're actually past that. And I'm not trying to say there's a crash coming. I'm just saying, guys, there's you. if you're not operating in that idea that the yeah, market is overheated. Paranoia. So for you guys to not have people buying in Toronto, I think that was the smart move. Now, certainly in hindsight, you know, it's almost like, okay, we're playing, we're playing craps. Okay. Some guy's been on a roll for an hour. He just can't roll a set. We're all making money. Okay. Does that mean that that's a smart time to get in? No. But at the end of the day, the odds say if you jump in, he may roll seven and you're out. Well, maybe he goes on another hour long run. That's the same. That's the equivalent to what we're talking about in Toronto. Toronto was an overheated market already years and years ago. And it's just kept getting bigger and bigger and bigger in terms of it's where it's at. It's way overheated. But will that correct? Who knows? No, no one, no one has that crystal ball. Nobody. But if you don't think it's heated up right now, then I think you're in a fantasy land. And I think your guys' message was the smart move. Mm-hmm. And you guys also pick properties that made sense. Yeah, go out and buy an $800,000 place in Toronto. What are you going to do with that? I mean, how are you going to make cash flow off that thing? Well, at that time. Now, there's, you know, uh, yeah, there's still options now. But at that time, there was a, that was a higher-end property in Toronto, right? I have the crazy, because a big market correction would be, and you guys will be the first people we'll want to be talking to if you ever see credit freezing up. Like, we need to talk. Yeah, if you guys, crisis, if you guys ever problem. see credit lines being shut down, and you're like, oh my God, that's so weird. Like, one of our clients had a credit line, and like some bank just magically closed the credit line down. You have to call us immediately. Yeah. We're doing an emergency podcast. If anyone listening to this sees emergency at the start of a podcast, <laughs> listen to that podcast. Or when, it's been, always when variable rates, too. When variable rates start flipping, and like you see variable rates without a discount, 
or like at a premium and you're like, but why I have is this, this happening? Th- so I have you this know? weird theory because I've been short term paranoid for like at least a decade. So I've been kind of like your father, but mm-hmm. you know, we've still been in the market. Well, he's, been, he's been like that for 25 years. You've only been like that for like nine. <laughs> but we've been still in the market. We're still in the <laughs> yeah, market. Absolutely. Right? That's a good so, point. So like we're still like, yeah, we're paranoid, but we're not going to stop. No. So, but, but here's the thing. I never like to be on the side of the majority. Nick knows this. We talk about this all the, the time. And, thinking. And, and I feel like right now, because before in 2010, when we were saying interest rates are going to stay low, everyone's like, well, Tom, that's very nice of you to think that, but they're going to normalize. That was the language I was always told. They're going to normalize. They're going to normalize. I'm like, ah, I don't really think so. But anyway, I feel like now that more and more people are thinking the market, you know, it's really high. I have a, this weird feeling that they can't let it go down. Otherwise, Wall Street itself comes crumbling down. So I'm like, oh my gosh, if they're not going to let a recession happen in the States because they just can't afford to let it happen. And then we are going to be the beneficiaries of that. You can argue if it's positive or negative beneficiaries, but we're going to be the beneficiaries of that with low, cheap stimulus money and low money. And we have a population that's increasing here. When you mix a lot of cheap money with a growing population base, that's the formula for an economy that's exploding. I'm like, are we accidentally going to benefit in the GTA from the global monetary policy? policies that are happening and I secretly think that we are yeah I guess it's not that secret it feels like that but but that's where I feel like we're at I'm like oh my gosh yes there could be something happening but the policy response to whatever happens might actually blow the market higher another 10 years so it's it's like fascinating stuff Anyway, we're uh, well, mar- we're markets act irrational. I think, you know, you even have to just look at the stock market. I mean, how many times people are like, oh, that stock's way overblown. Then it goes on like another 100% run. I mean, that does happen. I mean, you can never tell when. That's the whole thing is you can never pick no. that spot. If you can, then you're you're the most special person in the world. I just my Oracle shares when they went to 20 bucks. And I was like, Carol, I think we're going to be rich. And then they went to 40. And then they went to 60. And then they went to 80. I'm like, Carol, I think I'm pretty sure we're yeah. rich right now. <laughs> and then they went to 14. Yeah. yeah that's, that's, <laughs> I'm like, uh, yeah, Carol, we're not. We're, uh, yeah. It's well, but guess yeah, what? When they, we have nothing. When they <laughs> yeah. did go to 80 or when they did go to 60, get, oh, when you think about that, the, the thought of them going to 14, literally, you would have gone, no, no there's impossible. no chance. It's impossible. You know what I mean? And that's the whole thing. And that's Oracle Corporation. And it's not going back down. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. And that's the, that's the kind of, there's that hive mindset right now that is, you know, really that's the part that scares me the most personally is that I'm looking at the market. I feel like we are in a real, that high euphoria part still. We got a, it felt like we, there was like that little dip that totally. brought some people yep. back to normal, yeah. but that doesn't seem to have lasted because 2019 was a monster year and 2020 we're being told is going to be even a bigger year. So, I mean, where, where does this thing start to lose its steam? I feel like we leave it. We'll, we'll, this is to be continued. Yes. We'll leave the discussion. Uh, Daniel Patton, thank you for, I don't uh, know, have you been on the podcast before? Not on this one, no. I appreciate it, man. You. Thank oh, you for hanging thank out. For thank you for me. everything you do with Rockstar oh, Investors, man. We really, a lot of people don't realize Dan is like the vehicle that drives Butler totally. Mortgage now, right? He's like <laughs> so, the hidden kind of gem. But I, 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 I need to keep him hidden so that he doesn't get poached from me. Yeah. 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 Right. Guys, and we really would like some pens engraved with our names on them. Yeah, we'll get you some flashlights or yeah, something okay, with some yeah, rockstar yeah. stuff yeah what about <laughs> some like golf those like visor golf ones oh, yeah, some for you. Yeah. i got a mouse pad last year someone gave me a Ooh, mouse pad some company what i'm like people take all still that use we don't want mouse pads for, like, yeah. this is a thing you guys must get those phone calls though right from the company that like hey how you doing you guys must need some keychains and da-da-da. yeah we no, kind of do get i think christina handles most yeah, of those we now. don't take any oh, incoming calls dave's dad used to love those calls and he would get the people to they'd say you know well we'll send you a hundred you know what you want my business you send me 500 you send me like and 
then, and then we'd show up at his office and he'd have boxes of stuff, like cool flashlights, you know, knives like the Swiss Army knives. Not bad. All Butler Mortgage. When, awesome. uh, if people want to reach out to you guys who don't know how already, how do they do it? What's the best way right now? Uh, best to- way on is you can contact our office. We're old school at one triple eight six eight four eight three two six, or we have a lot of people reach out to our corporate website at butlermortgage.ca, and then they'll just put in the comments that you're from Rockstar. You heard a you know income for uh, not income for whoa life. whoa right. income for life whoa. <laughs> your life your terms if podcast. If you put income for life in there, you get special mortgage rates. <laughs> yeah, you, you get legacy yeah, rates. Like, yes. You get you legacy get rates. rates. Back then, yeah. <laughs> but uh, ButlerMortgage.ca, just mention Dan Patton or Dave Butler or even Tom and Nick and everyone's trained there to know to get that lead over to Dan and he'll uh, he'll contact you. Cool. cool. Appreciate this, guys. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Hey, everybody. Hopefully you enjoyed that talk. I always like talking with those guys. Good guys. We've been working with them for a long time. And uh, if you're listening to this and you want access to some real estate investing reports, go to rockstarinnercircle.com forward slash reports. That's rockstarinnercircle.com forward slash reports. You can check them out there. Until next time, your life, your terms.